They don't come here to attack us because we're rich and we're free. They come and they, and they attack us because we're over there. We don't need to go populist left or populist right. We don't need to embrace neo-Marxism or neo-fascism, these disastrous movements from the 20th century. Turns out the answer is pretty much our Bill of Rights, our story. Embrace freedom. That's the answer. And if the LP has a purpose, it's not to put people to sleep. It's to wake them up. We're here because we love liberty. And we're here because we hate injustice. We are here to save mankind. We are here to fight. Join us, the Libertarian Party, in perhaps the most exciting, grandest endeavor in history, the restoration of American liberty. Ideas spread, they can't stop them. An idea whose time has come cannot be stopped by any army or any government. Hello and welcome to episode 23 of Decentralized Revolution, a podcast of the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus. I'm Aaron and I'm your host. Uh, first of all, I need to apologize for the long gap between this episode and the last one, which was episode 22 with Kyle Anzalone. Um, a lot of things just conflicted and trying to schedule people. And uh, the guest I had scheduled for last week to tape uh, had to postpone because of illness. But the good news is, is we've got three uh, coming in, in quick succession, because in addition to this episode, episode 23, uh, after I uh, finish editing this and recording this intro, uh, I'm going to be recording with Spike Cohen, Libertarian Party Vice Presidential Candidate Spike Cohen, uh, this evening. And then tomorrow, I'm recording with Anthony Samaroff of the Scottish Liberty Podcast. So I plan to get both of those episodes out to you before the July 4th holiday weekend. So we'll end up having, a, a, a good, I think, five for the month of July, which was kind of my goal just uh, kind of uh, not in regular intervals, but that's okay. Um, If you have any questions about the Libertarian National Convention in Orlando, uh, if you've just decided you uh, can make it after all, after maybe thinking you couldn't, uh, and if you're already an alternate or a delegate, then we need you to try and show up because we think most, if not all of our Mises Caucus affiliated alternates uh, will indeed be able to be seated in someone's state delegation. That is our our, our sincere uh, belief. And uh, if you need a place to stay, uh, you can email me at communications, that's communications with an S, at lpmisescaucus.com. And uh, I can link you to the person who's filling up all of our Airbnb accommodation slots that we've purchased. So if you have recently decided you can go, money's a little tight, uh, let us know. Uh, if you can afford it, uh, then please don't apply for one of these slots because these are for people who, who need them. Um, if you can't remember that email address or don't have a chance to write it down, You can also just go to the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus Facebook page, send a message to the page, and I'll respond to you there. And of course, uh, to stay up to date with things, uh, if you haven't done so yet, you need to subscribe to our email newsletter at TakeHumanAction.com. Now, on to today's program, my guest is Dr. Aaron Lewis, who's a really interesting and positive guy that uh, I discovered through a piece he wrote for the National LP Newsletter. He's a relatively new member of the Libertarian Party, having left the Democrat Party last year 
to pursue a run for mayor of Hartford. I, I think he was actually on the ballot as an independent or unaffiliated candidate because of ballot access laws. But he, uh, before he ran, he officially changed his voter registration to libertarian and, and campaigned openly as a libertarian and got a, a good, good response. He says he'll describe some of that. Uh, he's got a lot to say about uh, urban politics, what the LP is doing right and where we can improve. And I think you'll enjoy my conversation with Dr. Aaron Lewis. Dr. Lewis, welcome to Decentralized Revolution. How are you today? I'm phenomenal. Okay. How, how are you? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm doing good, as good as anybody can be doing uh, during this crazy year of, of 2020. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I want to tell people why I'm having you on. I, I saw your article. I think you've had a couple recently in the LP News, the National LP Newsletter, and uh, I'm always on the lookout for people with different perspectives um, in the Libertarian Party and uh, new up-and-coming people. So I thought you'd be perfect to have on. So I don't know a whole lot about you. Um, uh, I was able to find out a little bit, and we've talked just a little bit. But why don't you tell people uh, where you're from, you know, where you came up, and kind of your, your education, your journey to becoming a Libertarian? Right, right. Well, um, first of all, thank you for having me on um, on your show. I'm so excited about being here. And um, so I'm, I'm um, Dr. Aaron Lewis. I'm originally from Hartford, Connecticut. I've been there um, all of my life. Um, lived overseas a couple of years in Panama, uh, Panama City, but I've always had residence in um, um, Hartford, Connecticut area um, for um, the past uh, four or five decades. And, um, and so that's my, my birthplace. And um, I um, have been a human, I am a humanitarian. I, I travel all over the world. I've been to, to more than 61 countries around the world. Um, and, and when I go to these countries, I'm always going there to bring services, um, you know, food, uh, medical supplies, um, chiropractic care, um, clothing, uh, books, resources, and so, and so I go to uh, countries in Sub-Saharan Africa. I go to countries in South America, as well as in Central America and many countries in the Caribbean um, to bring aid. And so I've consulted um, um, governments with regards to education, uh, as well as um, healthcare as well, and healthcare reform in nations around the world. And so um, uh, children um, are at the center of my heart. I started a school in the city of Hartford, um, the Scribes Institute. Um, and you could check them out at thescribesinstitute.org. And that's a uh, second to eighth grade supplemental school where we teach literacy, STEM fields, as well as foreign languages. And so um, children are at, like I said, at the heart of, 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 of you know, of my heart. And I, and I, I believe that that's going to help our next generation um, to do well and to prosper by investing in, into the children. And so I'm also a, um, a senior pastor at a church in Hartford, Connecticut, um, the family church, and we're located over at 224 Farmington Avenue in Hartford, Connecticut. And so I've, I've, I've uh, been a, a pastoral leader uh, for, for 23 years, been in ministry for 30 years, and um, and and on and I'm also a publisher. That's how I earn an income. <laughs> and I've been publishing books for the past 25 years, and so I've written. As a ghostwriter, over 225 books. 
I have 10 under my own name. And so we have books that's distributed all uh, throughout the world, millions and millions of copies in, in several different uh, languages. And so uh, between the publishing and, and the humanitarian, um, the activism, um, which I'm very, very involved in, um, particularly with regards to educational activism for, for students to get the uh, educations that they deserve. I'm very active in, in the city of Hartford. I was the Libertarian candidate for 2019 um, for the mayor of the city of Hartford as well. And, um, and the people of Hartford uh, made the horrific decision of not <laughs> choosing me and voting me in. <laughs> Right, and so they'll have they'll have to pay for that themselves. And so I lost to the incumbent, but um, but I'm still here, man, and um, and I'm I'm a proud libertarian, and um, and definitely trying to strengthen and build uh, the party and build our resolve and trying to educate, um, particularly people of color, on the benefits of liberty and freedom, and, and right. just that plain the benefits of liberty and freedom that um, I believe that there's no party that gives them that level of um, awareness and access to liberty and freedom um, like the Libertarian Party does. And um, and so I've, I've that's just a, a, a short version. I, I, no, I don't want to talk to me all that's day. That's good. Let, <laughs> let, me, uh, let me ask you a little bit about the uh, humanitarian trips and stuff that you do. Um, are those with any uh, established groups? Is it through your church? How do you, um, how do you run those? Um, uh, actually, it's it, it, there's the whole gamut, and so often we we do it through family church, and and we invite people on um, mission trips with us, and so we'll take teens, and we keep them intentionally small, as low as seven, and as many as um, eighteen, and that's typically the range, and they come from all over the country. Actually, um, I always bring a chiropractor. I'm a chiropractic advocate. I wrote a book called Why I Love Chiropractic. Uh, back in 2009 that's been distributed all over the world is why I, I teach people about the, the benefits of chiropractic care and um and you know and 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 and, and the value of chiropractic uh in, in in a person's daily life and so i always bring a chiropractor with me under uh, every circumstance sometimes i bring um, um uh, medical uh, doctors with me i bring people um that are willing to work because we typically go to impoverished areas where people um, need food, they need clothing, they need training. So I always bring people that have a love for people and 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 want to you know just get get their hands dirty and just work. Yeah, that it. I, I'm guessing that your experience with governments doing all those things and and looking at what governments can and can't do to alleviate poverty and, and things like that has has informed your political evolution. Is that am I right there? Well. To, to a certain extent, I mean, um, my, my political evolution um, has been far more, that, like I said, to a lesser extent, yes, my political evolution has been far more influenced uh, by um, the, the, the political um, landscape here, here in America, the Democratic Party, um, which I uh, was a, a member of I, when I was 18 years old and I began voting, I was independent. Uh, when Barack Obama uh, ran for president, I changed my um, independent um, uh, affiliation to Democrat. And, um, and, and I did so um, with um, good intentions, <laughs> believing that, um, that the party in and of itself was going to bring about 
a tremendous amount of change to um, um, to people of color, to our, our, our nation. And um, there's a lot of people that um, speak very pejoratively or derogatory about um, um, President Obama. I'm not one of them um, because I'm far wiser um, to understand that the system is so much bigger than, than Mr. Obama. The system is bigger than Mr. Trump. The system is bigger than um, the Bushes or the Clintons. It's the system that we should be intolerant of and angry with because um, all of the people that I just named are just, um, um, you know, for lack of a better way of saying it, just pieces on the chess table in this system. And, right. so, and, they, and they can be, you know, kicked off the chess table at any time yeah. as they are every four years or every eight years. But the system still remains. And so the, the system is, 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 is what keeps us enslaved what steals our freedoms, what steals our joy, what steals our peace. And so I, I left the Democratic Party and, and joined the Libertarian Party um, because it was the right thing to do. It was, you know, for me, um, not only the right thing to do, it was the godly thing to do. And I'm not, you know, uh, uh, um, mixing God with politics in an irreverent way as we've, as we've seen people do before. Mm -hmm. But I'm saying just in terms of just my personal conviction, it was the make sense thing to do. And for me, to lead uh, people into freedom all over the world as a humanitarian, I, I felt that I had to lead by example and there was no way that I could be a part of the Democratic Party knowing its history of continuing the enslavement of the mindset of many people of color. And so that's something that I had to um, um, to wrestle with and, 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 and to come to an, an, an educated conclusion that the Libertarian Party was the party that was worth building, that was worth uh, putting my time and attention into to help it become what I know it possibly um, uh, can become. So did you, uh, how did you find out about the Libertarian Party? What research did you do? Who'd you talk to to find out that, that what our philosophy was and why that was for you? Well, well you know, let me uh, digress just a moment. So sure. uh, when I began running, for a uh, mayor, I was running um, as a Democrat. Um, I, I discovered the, um, and, 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 and of course I'm, I'm far from um, um, naive, um, but, there are, there, but I'm trusting as many people of color are trusting. <laughs> and so we, we trust people, we trust processes. And, and, and unfortunately for us, many of us have to learn the hard way how much um, certain systems don't work for us. In other words, we have to lose before we can gain. And so during the um, actual early stages of my campaign, when I was actually registered as a Democrat, um, I had a, a personal attack um, from the, the, the Hartford Democratic Town Committee, which uh, was run by a, a gentleman um, um, whose family has a long, long history of controlling the politics of Harvard, a guy named Debella, and and his 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 uh, family has a long, soiled, dirty history of controlling and contaminating politics in Harvard. And so, uh, when I was running, um, um, he did everything in his power to beguile and to lie and to smear um, the names of. And he's the actual Democratic Town Committee chair. Okay. He tried to smear my name and the names of other people that were uh, there with us. I had had um, a, a long history of working in the Democratic Party for years. I told you just prior to Obama 
becoming president. So you're talking um, years, I mean, at least good eight, nine years that I was working very tirelessly. My church at that time was in the city of East Hartford, Connecticut. So it's a, a, a wonderful city just over the bridge. It's just separated by um, a bridge. Here's Hartford. And then on the other side of the bridge is East Hartford. And I worked with the mayor of East Hartford. Her name is Marsha Leclerc. And I, I, my, I and at that time, my church um, was very, very active with going out and getting, and you know how the political process is, getting uh, money for her campaign, getting money for another gentleman's campaign, Henry Jenga, getting um, votes for another uh, a gentleman, you know, uh, Jason Rojas, these are state representatives, and she's the mayor. And, and so um, I had 70 people on the street um, collecting money for her all over the city of East Hartford. I've, you know, got... And after the campaign was over, she got back in, of course, and our church, very active. And, you know, it was the Family of God Church in East Harvard. We were very active, very active in her campaign. And so when I um, uh, ran for mayor in the city of Hartford, you know, fast forward up to last year, um, she and this Mark DeVella guy decided that they would tell a complete blatant lie and say that I'd never... Um, was involved in any campaign and my resume was conflated and that I lied about knowing her, although I have um, several emails that I could present to you of her thanking me for the service. So out of out of that complete, you know, bastion of lies from the mayor of East Hartford, Connecticut, and then the chair of the Democratic Party to get their guy in, the incumbent, to get him back in for their own purposes, when they told those lies, I there now, now I'm going back to faith. You know, uh, the, the Bible lets us know that a liar shall not tarry in my sight. A liar is an abomination to God, an abomination. And so I take that very seriously. And I said, wow, they would actually try to destroy the name of a good man, a person of color, right? I don't have any whatsoever, any of um, um, skeletons, don't, never been arrested, never been, you know, charged with a crime, nothing, right? And so th if they would do that, how could I then continue to give my life and support to this party? And from that moment, I said, I can't do this any longer. Um, I have to really start to do more research about a party that I can align with that really represents freedoms as well as liberty that would not think it was you know, fair game to completely prefabricate um, a situation just for their benefit. Now, again, again, Aaron, I'm telling you, I'm 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 not naive. I know that in politics, people lie every single second, not even every day. But but the party that I um, gave my time and my money to, you know, bringing my congregation to hit the streets to rally for this this mayor of East Hartford, and then for her to tell a blatant lie. Um, I don't even know if I was hurt as much as I was shocked because. You know what I'm saying? It, it just yep. was it was a strange situation. But but at the same time, you know, they say that you got to grow up and be a big boy. Right. I became a big boy overnight. And that's what set me on my journey to start looking at the parties and seeing which of these parties would best align with what I believe. I could have always went back to being an independent. But to me, that would not have been the best decision because, you know, you're independent, you're independent. It's not a bad thing. I've been there but you're standing alone. I needed to, com to combine my efforts with a party that could grow in the right way. And I right. thought that that's what the Libertarian Party represented. 
Okay. Why do you think they came after you after you helped with the mayor's campaign in East Hartford? Why did they come after you? Did you just not wait your turn? You decided to run for mayor and, and didn't get their permission or what, what was it? Well, you know, it's funny because I wish I had you as a campaign manager because <laughs> you, what you just said is pretty much the compendium of the entire process. In other words, you know, Dr. Lewis, you don't have the right to run for mayor. You, you didn't get our blessing. You didn't get our approval. And they had their guy. They had their guy that although he was not doing a good job for the city of Harvard, they understood the dynamics of the city of Harvard. The city of Harvard is 65% minority divided between African-Americans and Puerto Ricans. And, 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 and a few Latin American countries uh, like Nicaragua, Honduras, Mexico, but the vast majority are black people and Puerto Rican people. That's the vast majority. And of course, you know, uh, uh, unbeknownst to a lot of people in America, Puerto Rico is America and they are Americans, right? right? <laughs> but at any rate, <laughs> but at any rate um, the, the majority of the, of the city is minority, but yet and still it's not reflected in government. We did have of a Puerto Rican mayor just prior to the incumbent, who also through very um, negative and dirty politics was pushed out. You understand? And and you know he, he served his term, but 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 stopped in his campaign. You know, just a few months into it, and then endorsed who we have now as the mayor. So in their mindset, their, their politics is extraordinarily dirty, which I did not know. I didn't because Democrats typically say that the only people that have dirty politics are Republicans. So if you don't do any research, you just believe it. I didn't know that it was that dirty and, 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 and how ridiculous and, 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 and mentally challenged the entire party is because you're talking about a black man of my caliber and my education, right? I, I, I'm, I'm a PhD, I have seven earned degrees. You would think that they would have the sense enough to say, let's get this guy somewhere. Let's get him to help us in some capacity. But in, instead, they decided that they were gonna play the same games that they've played with everyone and that they would get away with it. They, they couldn't do that with me. And so, yes, it, 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 their mindset, it was the good old boys club. You're not one of us and, 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 and you're not controllable. And you know we're not about freedom in this Democratic Party. We tell people we are, but we're not. We're not. We're not about liberty. We yeah. tell people we are. You know we're not about black folks having access to um, um, commerce and and to the Second Amendment. Right. Think about it. Right. And yep. and so after first of all, I, I told you I wrote two, over two hundred twenty-five books. I'm a researcher, so I'm the worst person that they could have lied about because I'm going to research because I'm thinking to myself that everything you know, have to do in research, everything that they claim that they are, they're completely unequivocally the opposite. They're opposite, they're not. They're, they're, they're not about uh, uh, black people um, 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 benefiting from the, the second amendment. Black people are unarmed, right? So if, if, if they were ever attacked, they'll be the first to die. But yet the Democratic party um, pushes agendas to get the guns out of everybody's hands. And they, and they do it proudly. And, and of course, black people unknowingly, right? Unknowingly, I, I'll never dis, um, um, disparage my people. And so, and I'm being very honest, they unknowingly think that the Democratic Party's for them by coming against the Second Amendment. They're not. They're actually putting black people in arguably the most vulnerable position yep. that they could ever be in. And so, but, but 
most black people don't recognize that with with regards to education i started to do some some case studies all around the united states of america and nearly every city in the united states of america where it's a minority um, majority city and it's democratic run the school system is the worst in the area it just is what it is in the city of Hartford. it's arguably the worst school system in the country if 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 the city was the la a larger city, it would definitely get the number one worst school system in the United States of America. But it's only 125,000 people there, so you know they don't get the the grand prize. But but they would if they were a bigger city. Sounds like Dayton. We're uh, we're about that smaller city, but uh, uh, used to be a bigger, much bigger city, and the decay. And uh, you're right, the 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 schools here. Um, it's been Democrat run for a long time, and the schools just get worse and worse. Um, what, let's, let's talk about a little bit about what kind of response you got, uh, from, I don't know, your parishioners from, uh, average voters, from people outside the political establishment. When you tell them, Hey, I'm, I'm Dr. Aaron Lewis. I'm running as a libertarian. What impressions do they have of, of that brand? And, and how, how much progress did you make talking to them about that brand? Well, you know, it, I mean, I, I think the, the guys, I think the guy that this story um, speaks of may have worked for Tomacan or one of the earlier shoe stores when they said they went to a, a, a certain part of Africa and the people there, you know, one guy went there and, and people had no shoes on. And then he, he looked around and says, I'm going to pack up and go back to America because they have no shoes. There's no market here. But then some other guy comes over. He sees that they have no shoes and he says, oh my God, let's build a whole lot right. of companies because you know, there's no shoes and we got a huge market. Well, that's kind of how I felt with um, talking to people about um, libertarianism um, to get them to vote for me. That's a different story because you're still talking about systemic um, mental um, um, enslavement where they they don't know how to vote themselves out of enslavement because they've been there so long. It's not that black people are bad. They're, black people are beautiful. Black people are lovely. Black people are smart. But black people are conditioned. You hear what I'm saying? Yeah. They're conditioned to do things the same way all the time and expect different results. And I said also black people are ultra trusting. So if, 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 if the Democratic Party, one great thing about the party is that they know how to get black people's minds. That's a, a they, they're great marketers. But 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 at the same time, when I was going around and knocking on doors, and I knocked on thousands of doors, talking to people about the Libertarian Party, I would say um, um, out of 10 people, um, about zero a black person or Puerto Rican knew what the Libertarian Party was, right? <laughs> and so when I would go, when I go, would go to the west end of, of, of Hartford, which is right near the West Hartford line, which is a more opulent section of Hartford, right close to West Hartford, which is opulent of city, of suburban city nearby. Um, most people over there are Caucasians. Um, I would say out of out of ten people, about seven or eight people that were Caucasian knew what the Libertarian Party won, if, if, if not even higher. So most people of color did not know that Libertarian uh, Party existed, which the first thing I got to say is shame on the Libertarian Party because you got to spend money on marketing in order to get your brand out. I don't care what it is. You know, it's not that, you know, Coca-Cola is, is not known because it's healthy and it's like vitamins. And, you know, and when you when you drink it, you're going to have this great healthy body. No, that, that's not why. 
that Coca-Cola is known because they spend more marketing dollars than anybody on the planet. And that's something that I, I, I plan on helping um, the, the, the Libertarian Party to understand and to expand with that knowledge of, of marketing dollars. But at any rate, um, when I would talk to people about the uh, Libertarian Party, they were overwhelmingly interested, right? And even the diehard Democrats that, you know, would not be uh, willing to initially change their party or just make the quick decision to change their party, they were still interested, man. They, they were in dialogue. I had very few, there were only about, I'll tell you, um, the, the, the Democrats that were the ones that were not gonna talk to me, they were diehard against the conversation, that was pretty much the Democratic Town Committee. And I'm very right. serious. Yep. Just them, that you know, 70 or 80 people that represented and comprised the Democratic Town Committee, they wouldn't talk about it because they they thought the Libertarian Party, you know, was the Antichrist. But but outside of them, the actual, you know, regular people in the city of Hartford and even around the city of Hartford were, were very open. I mean, overwhelmingly open to learn more about the party, its philosophies and what it represented. And then uh, uh, for lack of a better way of saying it, nearly all of them after explaining and educating them, they all realized that they were probably more libertarian than they were even Democrat. Right. And I can say the same thing of Republicans. Most Republicans were more libertarian than they were Republican. Yeah. And so the opportunity excited me um, um, tremendously um, that there was a great, great, beautiful, beautiful uh, opportunity to advance this party and get get the rest of the country to understand that they need to get on board if we're going to um, really uh, take back our country. What were some of the specific issues that when you talk to the average Democrat voter who you say was uh, very open to and excited about libertarianism, what were the issues that that they were concerned about that they liked our position on? Well, for, for one, I, I began to break down the concept of how people are free. So there are some people that say kill welfare overnight and um, don't give anybody welfare. You know, that, that whole, you know, uh, pull yourself up by the bootstraps concept. OK, now, while there's a component of that that I agree with, I do. I believe that people should do for self. My father was an immigrant. He came from Jamaica, West Indies back in 55. And he worked and made an enormous fortune for himself. He bought dozens and dozens of income property and he, and he made a, a, a tremendous life for himself. He just you know, recently made his transition um, uh, back in December of 2019. He was 89 years old. He lived a wonderful life, but, but and he, was a, he was a bishop in the church of God. But here, here's the deal. As much as I understand how to do for self, my father taught me that work for self, make your own money you know, um, um, to protect and, and support your communities, um, to, to get rid of welfare overnight would be drastic and it would be devastating. It doesn't make, it doesn't make intelligent sense. What has to happen is um, education and stages. So I began to talk to um, um, people of color that were, um, how can I put it? That were buying into the concept of welfare as we've been taught by the Democratic Party. You get what I'm saying? Right. That, that that type of welfare, that type of subsistence was helping them. And so if you're on it, right, you're gonna think that it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Why? Because you're on it. And, it, and, it's, and it's giving you a temporary benefit. Most people of color 
that were on welfare. And, and we know by the stats that people of color represent the lowest amount of people in the country that are on welfare. Caucasians represent a far more greater percentage of people that are on welfare, but that's just not something that's known to the general public. However, that's a sidebar. However, black people who were on welfare um, were not understanding the dynamics, or in other words, okay, we give you this now, but you're our slave for the rest of your life. They did not get that. So when, when I would begin to break that down, that what they were being given was actually a curse and not a blessing, that's when their eyes were opening. So for back to our point about Dayton and, 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 and Hartford, right? Okay, fine, we give you welfare, we give you subsidy, but your schools are horrible, right? Your police departments are underfunded and, uh, and, 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 and the communities are unsafe. So do you understand? <laughs> so you're getting, you're getting this and the Democratic Party is saying, everything that we give you is making us better than the Republicans and the Libertarians. No, you're the worst of all of them because you're, it's like giving somebody you know, slow doses of cyanide yeah. <laughs> and, and then telling them that you know, it has the same effects of vitamin A, C, and D. It's, it's, it's a lie. And so if you tell a lie long enough, after a while, somebody's gonna believe it. And that, that's what I believe happened. But I started to see a tremendous um, opportunity in educating them. And, I, and that opportunity, you know, for libertarians that are interested, um, the African-American community, Latino community, that's virgin territory. That's fertile yeah. ground to actually educate. We just got to do the work. One thing that I noticed, um, I spent three years, uh, several years ago, I spent three years teaching at a charter school in uh, West Dayton, which is the poorest um, part of Dayton with the fewest white people. Uh, oftentimes I was the only white person in the building. And so I, it was, a one of the greatest experiences of my life to get to know, um, all just, I, I learned so much, uh, during those three years. And one thing I learned that as someone who, you know, I came up as a, you know, I was a Reagan baby, you know, so Reagan Republican and, uh, all that. And then, uh, I've been a libertarian for quite a while, but I've always also had that, Hey, you know, just cut people off welfare and make them go get work. And one thing I realized uh, in working and going over to that area of town every day, where, where most people who look like me never go in their entire lives, uh, they may drive around it, but they don't they don't spend any time there. Is where there are no jobs and no opportunities there. Like if you wanted to start a business in West Dayton. The, the regulations, the taxes, uh, the red tape, the lack of um, uh, infrastructure, things like that, it, the opportunity is not there because of what the government has done. So you're making people dependent and then you're taking away the ladder that some of them could grab to get out of it. And uh, one thing I, I noticed, I actually got to... Um, um, know a couple of my students' parents because they worked at the fast food restaurants near the school that sometimes I would go to for breakfast or lunch. And, oh, and they got to know me. And it occurred to me that black teenagers who were, um, I would always, I wasn't supposed to let them, but I let my students fill out job applications and stuff like that on school time if they had a job lead. But what I found was, is a lot of those entry level jobs uh, in West Dayton, 
that would be taken by 16, 17, 18 year olds were actually taken by their parents because that's the only opportunity they, they had. And so I think that you're right. I think that just about anybody, they can break out of that, but you know, we have a federal reserve that's killed our, the worth of our dollar. You can't save, you lose the, you know, use, you lose value on your savings every year um, with regulations and things like that. It's, it's, it, it almost is like a design that, that they, um, they did that to the economy and then they gave welfare to minorities and they're, they're stuck there. Um, yeah, they're, st they're stuck there, but I mean, I think the operative word was by design. It's completely by design. And so, uh, you know, the researcher, and, and I am a researcher, so I think that we're the greatest folks on earth because once we start studying, we figure out, you know, where the elephant is in the world. And so the the, the party, I mean, just think about it. You, you just gave a, a pristine example of West Dayton. And so you've got a democratic interest there, I'm assuming, yeah. and, um, and but yet it's not changing the system. So the opportunities in that region are limited or minuscule or, you know, at best, um, 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 low level or entry level. So what good is that? What good is that? And so that's where I have conversations because everything in life starts with a conversation, yeah. right? If we wanted, if we really wanted racism to end, the, the worst thing to do is to fight it or to argue about it or to deny it, which is what we're seeing happening um, all over the country. The easiest way for racism to, to, to end and for healing to start is to simply sit down and stop acting like children and act like grown folks and just have a simple conversation. Guess what? In conversations, you may not always like what I say. I might not like what you say, but it, do, it really doesn't matter at the end. At the end, we were able to at least get out what we wanted to say. And even if it was something that was not cool, let it come out so that at least I can deal with it. I want to hear what you got to say, even if it's crazy. I want to deal with it. So that's how we begin to, to get an understanding, to get bonding, um, um, to, to, to connect us. But with the, uh, the Democratic Party, that that conversation doesn't have to happen because what they've said to minorities, most minorities have bought into. And when they see themselves in a cyclical problem of, 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 of poverty, indebtedness, uh, joblessness, homelessness, uh, drug addiction, um, extremely poor education, crime, that's not a that's not a cycle to, you know, to 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 wink your eye at it. It's a really huge problem, but they stay there. Why? Because the party has enough money to convince them that that's the best place for them to be. Yeah. And, 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 and so, and so that's where, you know, the, the libertarian party comes in. We have an opportunity that I pray to God that we seize because, you know, with opportunity, there's only a, a window um, that just a short amount of time. I believe that right now with the climate, of, of the political climate that we have the greatest opportunity ever known to mankind. I, I completely believe that, but we got to do the work. We got to, yep. <laughs> we got to make it happen. Let, let's talk about that. What, what, um, what's the state of the LP there in Connecticut and in Hartford? What type of support did you get and what can, 
can you guys, can us as a party do better? You said we need to spend some money on marketing and getting our message out, put, put a little more uh, uh, substance on that too. Well, listen, in, in Hartford, the Libertarian Party needs to be built up, period. The state of Connecticut, we're, 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 doing, we're doing good. We could always do better. We have wonderful leadership. We have people that are good-hearted, good-intentioned, um, super smart people. One of my criticisms of Connecticut is that people, especially at the leadership level, they're too smart. They're philosophers. <laughs> and so as most libertarians are, and I, and I try to get um, uh, my fellow libertarians to stop being Plato and Socrates and just be, you know, Aaron and Aaron and just talk plain yeah. language because we're so philosophical. We have such tremendous, rich philosophical dialogue that we forgot about the practical side of just reaching people where they are. <laughs> and so that's that's one of the criticisms of, of the Libertarian Party, but that's across the board and that's something that can be changed. One of the, one of the, 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 um, the biggest um, ch challenges, um, and I won't even say a challenge, it's just one of the biggest things that, that we're presented with right now. And I talked to the executive director, I talked to uh, um, the chair of Nicholas Sawrock and, and you know Dan Fishman, I talked to them about these things. Um, um, is that we need to start targeting cities, man. Start targeting cities. But by, by and large, the Libertarian Party is a very, very white rule class um, um, party. And I don't believe that it's that way because of design. You understand? I don't believe that it's an unwelcoming party whatsoever because I'm, I'm, I'm not a a sellout black man as there are sellout black people in the world you already know that right i don't have to call any names but i'm not one of those guys and so i'm in the party not because i'm a token you know or or, or whatever i'm i'm in the party because i made an intellectual um and and philosophical and and and, and heartfelt choice about being here i'm here because i want to be here right nobody didn't put a, a gun to my head and the libertarian party is not paying me to say what i'm saying and and, and i don't think you're sending me um you know a million dollars after this uh, interview either so the, so the issue is that the libertarian party has um, um, um and, and, and as I, I said again um the challenge of reaching people in the inner city and and and, and overcoming the, the idea that they can exist the way that they do. We will not grow if we stay in the suburbs. I'm saying that emphatically, we will yeah. not grow. The cities is where it's at. And, and right now, the people of the cities want a change. They want something different. They want it, they want it right this minute. But we have to do the work of making people understand that we are a viable choice. Um, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party has been the only choice forever, right? And both parties spend a tremendous amount of time, amount of money, amount of emphasis, reducing the Libertarian Party. And that in and of itself shows you how great the Libertarian Party is, because anyone that would spend that much time trying to squash the third largest party in the country means that we have a lot of worth. We have a lot of benefit. We have a lot to offer. And so, but what we, what we have to do is we have to position ourselves where they position themselves, themselves, right? The, the Democrats are in every single city in America and we know that. So we need to be there. So in the city of Hartford, it's, uh, I would say half of the, um, um, the registered voters are independents or unaffiliated. So what does that mean? That means that the libertarians have a tremendous opportunity right there. That's not just Hartford, that's in many cities um, around the United States of America. In, in Detroit, 
it's going to be a little bit harder. The vast majority of people in Detroit are registered Democrats. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. But but it's no need to try to permeate, you know, that veil um, where they've already have they they've got they've got their party solid there. But in in the areas where you see an overwhelming um, representation of independents and unaffiliated, those are areas where people are saying, hey, I would be affiliated with something if somebody could give me reasons to do so. Yeah. And that's what we've got to get a whole lot better uh, with, particularly in the inner city, in West Dayton, in Dayton, in Hartford, in Chicago. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. We've got to start um, I'm hitting this, uh, the cities with relevant information. I think that most libertarians are shy to talk to people that they don't know or that they're unaccustomed to being around. And when we get around one another, we talk each other's heads off. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think you're right there. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, some current events. Uh, we've talked about, you know, um, a lot of things that really affect the black community. And obviously the, the big thing that we see uh, in the news every day these days is um, uh, police accountability after the, the George Floyd video that made everyone sick. Um, how did it get to that point where the relationship between police and the people in the neighborhoods got that bad? How much of a part does racism play? Is it something else? What, and especially as a pastor, I'd be, uh, you know, you're um, putting on your pastor hat an analysis at how did we get here to the point where this is boiling over and people are, are starting to get fed up? Well, I, I don't think that people are starting to get fed up now. I think that black people in America have been fed up for hundreds of years. Yeah. I think that, I think that we're at a place right now where what black people have been saying for 400 years, they're, they're finally getting um, an opportunity to be heard because of the World Wide Web, because of Facebook, because of YouTube and Snapchat and and and, and, and you know and 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 social media. Um, we we've been saying it all along. Police brutality is not something that's new. It's been happening for for hundreds, well, a hundred years at at least. I mean, yep. think about why the police were even a concept in America. There were no police in the 1700s and the early 1800s. After slavery was ended, uh, they had to find a way to police free black people. And, 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 and they made up you know, some ridiculous laws um, that no one could abide by and, and, and that they were certain uh, black people would be victims of breaking. And so from the very on, onsite of uh, policing in this country, it has been uh, with racist intent. And what I mean by that is that the, the whole ideology of police and protecting community never included black people to begin with. That's that's the problem. So when 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 you see on the side of a police car, it says protect, protect and serve, protect and serve, protect and serve. It's not it was not in, in, intended to include um, of the black man in America. Now, with all due respect, because I'm a fair man and I'm a just man, I'm a just man and I'm fair. Um, 95% of police in America do not do what you saw, um, I think it's Derek Chauvin do. That's 95%. Yep. So that's a very large amount of the police that would never do that, that would never dream to do that, that have a conscience, that, that's, that may have 
the propensity to be God fearing, right? 95%. However, you have about 5% of cops that will do that, right? So with 5% of cops that will do that, that's far too many because there's 900,000 sworn police officers that carry guns. So that would mean that somewhere in the area of 45,000 cops in America in 50 states have the ability to do that at any given time. That's that's a lot. It's far too many, even though proportionately speaking, the average cop doesn't do that. But it's still far too many cops that would do that. But why do they do that? Because there's a system and infrastructure that allows for it. I've, I've said this many times. I said I'm, I'm, I'm a, an educated and highly educated black man in America. And I've never been arrested, never uh, been in trouble with the law. I'm 50 years old. I know I look like I'm 21, but you can save the praise for later. I, you know, <laughs> but, but, but if I were today, you know, beat down by the cops, my impression, it could be wrong. My impression would be that most people in, and I, like I said, and my name is known in Hartford. My name is known in Connecticut. I'm known throughout the places where I've brought um, uh, missions throughout the world and, and supplies and education, whatever. And so if I were killed today, right? You didn't see me anymore, Aaron. There's a large part of white America that instead of saying, this is an outrage, they killed a pastor, they killed a humanitarian. This man was a publisher. He's a father of five, you understand? The first thing that they would do is wait for Fox or CNN or MSNBC to figure out if I had a speeding ticket when I was 16 years old. Right. And so anything that, or if I smoked marijuana at, at 17, or you, know, you understand, they would, they, they, that, that becomes the justification for abuse. There's a, a police officer by the name of um, um, Hilton um, um, Napoleon. He's actually working on a tremendous book right now. He's a chief of police. And he, and he, and he has in his book um, a section that, that's called acute justification syndrome. And he said that's something that America and, and policing suffers from, acute justification syndrome, that no matter what happens when a person of color is killed, instead of saying it's wrong, like, like I'm a pastor, the Bible says it's sin. You just murdered an innocent life. God says six things doth the Lord hate, and yea, even seven is, is, is an abomination to, to the Lord, the man who sheds innocent blood. But then when it comes to people of color, we trivialize it. You yeah. see what I'm saying? And we say, well, you know what? He had a he had a, a parking ticket, you know, 10 years ago. So that's now the justification for him, you know, of, of killing somebody. And so the point that I'm making is that until we have healthy conversations around this, nothing ha happens. Right. Yeah. And then you, you have some people that say, well, I my my parents weren't racist. And, 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 um, and you know, my ancestors weren't racist. They weren't slaves in this kind of thing. And, and so I don't know why I have to have this conversation. We all have to have this conversation, whether your 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 dad or your grandfather or great great grandfather was a racist or a slave owner is irrelevant to the point. The point is, is that we're all affected by this. Right. Yeah. And so since we're all affected, we all have to figure out solutions together. And, you know, we're not going to the Aryan nation and the skinheads to sit down and break bread and, 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 and have the Holy Eucharist um, with, with them. That, that doesn't make any sense. They're not talking to us ab about peace and, and, <laughs> and safety. We have to talk with sensible minded people about solutions. And here's the deal. A lot of people say, you know, well, I don't want to be guilt 
guilt, you know, feeling guilty because, you know, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Here's the deal. Healing always is associated with the painful process. Always. Right. If you break your leg right now, you're not going to go to the doctor and he's just going to, you know, put your leg back together, put some screws in and say, you won't be in pain no more. No, it's going to be painful for probably six or seven weeks with that cast on. And until we become mature enough as Americans to say, listen, it should not have lasted this long. Racism. Right. And, and, and horrible laws and a horrible system that supports the infrastructure of racism or you know, or police brutality, we, we should say we want to tear the system down that that supports this craziness so that we don't have to deal with it no more. Is that an easy process? No, it's not. It's painful. It's time. But at the same time, at the end, we're going to be healed and we won't walk with as obvious a limp as we're walking with yeah. right now. And so that that's the whole process. And then we have to use intelligence in, 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 in the process. Saying defund the police makes absolutely unequivocally no sense whatsoever. I get my black brothers and sisters, right? I'm not like, you know, um, 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 some of the black people out there, you know, like Candace Owens who hates her own people. I'm not one of those people. I'm a, <laughs> I love black people, but sometimes we make statements that makes no sense. To defund the police makes no sense. It, 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 it's a 100%, 100% feel good in the moment, emotional decision. You know what I'm saying? Defund the police, everything's going to be right. First of all, there's no causation or even connection to defunding the police. And, 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 and that automatically means that now there's going to be no police brutality. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. We need to reform how policing is done, not take yeah. money away from the police. Because if you take money away from the police in Hartford, I ain't going on the street because that means that one guy who's already unpaid in a job that's very, 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 very dangerous is going to now have to do the work of two people or three people. This is just common sense. Yeah. And so if, if he's already stressed getting paid forty to $70,000 a year, imagine now he's getting paid the same amount, but he's having to do his partner's job because the partner's not there and another person's job because they're not there. It doesn't make economic sense. It doesn't make sense for the safety of a community. It's definitely their choice to do so but it's not sensible but yeah. we come up with these you know ridiculous concepts why because we're not thinking through processes it's horrible that george floyd is 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 dead he doesn't have to be dead and i want all my white brothers and sisters to not not fix it they can't bring george floyd back but i want them to at least feel what black people are feeling. We're feeling pain, we're feeling hurt, and we're feeling like this is something that could have been averted. And yeah. it's not something that just happened, it's happened thousands of times all across America, many, many different examples. This is just the tipping point, you know, with with this, you know, this this perfect storm that has put put this out to the world, but it's not that it hasn't happened before it has. And and, and listen, and we do have solutions. God's put that on the inside of us. We got solutions, yeah. but 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 we're just stubborn. Yeah. <laughs> one one thing uh, I wanted to talk about, I don't think we've touched on yet, is you know talking about you know what we ask the police to do and 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 what we expect of them. One thing that I think has really poisoned things um, between police and the black community, but also other poor people of whatever color, is the drug war that. There's just so many because marijuana and everything else like that is illegal. Thankfully, marijuana is changing, right. but there, there are is so much um, 
so many more uh, reasons the police can end up interacting with people. And the more interactions you have with people with guns that are adversarial, it's going to, that's not going to, that's not a recipe for peace. And so what do you think about how we should approach the drug war and how that could change uh, how police interact with people? So first of all, let's, let's, let's use language that represents reality and, 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 and truth. There's really not a drug war and there really never has been a drug war. There are people who are sick and they are drug addicts, right? That need hospital care. They need the care of medical doctors. They need, you know, physicians that will give them counter drugs to help them. They need detox. They need prayer. They need uh, revival. They need so many other things, but they don't need prison. So when we talk about a drug war, that's a contrived idea that makes the, the profiteers millions and billions of dollars on the other um, 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 end, and it disproportionately affects people of color. So, you know, whether it's the Nick, Rev. Richard Nixon and his, you know, drug war propaganda or, you know, bring it up to Ronald Reagan, when you think about it, the drug war was always targeting black communities, started in, in Harlem, um, New York. Yep. It wasn't start, started in, in, the, in the suburbs where people do drugs on yep. a very regular basis, but, the, but the, the ramifications are not the same and the consequences are not the same. And so it's, it, let's use proper terminology. There wasn't a drug war. There was a war on black males, right? In very, very deeply impoverished communities. And, and those communities um, were so, so impoverished, so, so under-resourced that these black males and black females use as their outlet drugs, yeah. right? Yeah. They used as their outlet. They could have been anything. It could have been, you know, um, um, sex. It could, it could have been drugs. It could have been alcohol. It could have been anything. It just so happened to be drugs. And so what happens is that the, the, the powers that be, and listen, and I used to think it was the, the Republican Party growing up, and it was not. It was the Democratic Party that actually saw that opportunity to further enslave and inflict pain on the black community. Because, now listen to what I'm saying, because the optics looks like, okay, well, the Democrats are coming to save the day. It's the Democrats that run these cities. It's the Democrats that run these states. It's the Democrats that makes the policy that keeps black people in prison. They're the ones that, that demonize the um, 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 black people who do drugs and criminalize them and penalize them. And so, so the same people that they're voting for in these parties are not, are not in the least bit um, trying to help them. They're trying to create an infrastructure that perpetuates the cycle. It perpetuates the cycle. I mean, you know, you, you've got uh, Democratic presidents that signed in the, you know the the, the streak three strikes you're out um, um, rules and 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 I mean you understand what I'm saying and and so the problem is that we have to recognize where the where the root of this is coming from and so if if if, if poor black people are using drugs as their medication we put them in prison it doesn't make sense where our tax dollars are paying more for people to be in prison than for them to go to college it yeah. doesn't make any sense you've got um uh, more than 41 percent of the prison population 
are black men. Yet black men only represent 6.5% of the United States population. So by any statistician standards, that makes no sense whatsoever. That that math is bad math. So why does that exist? Because we have an infrastructure and a system that allows for it. That's what we have to yeah. deal with. One thing that really, um, it really hurts my heart when I hear some people make the argument that uh, if you if you bring up a statistic like you just did, that 41% of, of people in prisons are black males, but they only make up 6% of the population, the rejoinder that you'll hear to that is, well, they commit more of the crimes. And my, re my rejoinder to that is, if we had a humane policy toward drugs and other things, that so many of those people would not have records and would not have uh, committed crimes because because the drug war manufactures all this stuff. And then once you, and I saw some with my students that uh, if they had a, a conviction or had had uh, some run-ins with the law, their, their opportunities, even if they have a small run-in with the law at a young age, that limits a lot of their opportunities. And so these, uh, we've created so many crimes that aren't really crimes when we should be focusing on murder and rape and theft and things like that. So we create all these crimes and then we blame. Uh, I see some people blaming black people because they commit so many more crimes, but it, the, the whole system is un, is unjust and is what leads to that. that that's complete BS in, in terms of, you know, what they say and what they think. And even the, the idea that black people commit more crimes than whites, that's an optic that is safe for people that want to continue to marginalize people. Right. First, first of all, I commend you, and I'm, and I'm saying that real sincerely, being a, a, a Caucasian um, dude that even recognizes that because you're, you're pretty much alone in, in that uh, um, um, understanding. And I'm not saying you're the only person on the planet, you know, that, that'd be a, a compliment on a whole nother level. <laughs> but, but, but you're, you're in a, a very singular spot understanding that because most white people don't get what you just said. I, I'll give you, you know, I love examples. I'm a, I'm a preacher, so I give analogies all the time. I mean, just let's take something that I like, you know, chicken cordon blow, right? Okay, so if you said that every black person that eats chicken cordon blow is going to be in prison, right? So <laughs> if black people happen to like chicken cordon blow and you crim criminalize the eating of chicken cordon blow, that's what's going to happen, right? They're all going to be in prison for eating chicken. Does it mean that they're criminals? No, it means that you made a, a, a stupid um, 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 law concerning chicken cordon blow. That's what it means. This is a dumb law that never should have been to begin with. You know, for a person to smoke a joint, right? To smoke weed and to say, you're going to go to prison. Just think about the concept of this. I'm going to put you, Mr. Jones, Mr. Lewis, Mr. Jackson, I'm going to put you in prison and you're going to be there for two years because you smoked marijuana. For any thinking person on God's planet to think that that is a justifiable reason to put someone in jail and pay thirty to $40,000 a year to keep them there, you are insane. And I don't care what party you belong to, that makes no economic, that destroys the infrastructure of our economy. It makes no sense. That's not a violent crime. I am completely, and I believe I believe wholeheartedly that violent offenders need to go to J-A-I-L. I will help you put them there. You understand?
<laughs> but at the same time, nonviolent offenders do not need to be serving long prison sentences. It's, a, it's an abuse. It's inhumane. It makes no sense. It's, it ruins our economy. But guess what it does? It makes a certain sect of society feel like they're safe. You and, it, and it also enriches judges, prosecutors, cops, lawyers, things like that. So there, there are a lot of people who have a, a vested economic interest in keeping things the way they are because they, you know, prison guards and all that, they, they profit off of that. They profit big time. Yeah. And, and, and but, 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 but here's the problem is that that system in its present form causes us to be at odds with one another it's it's not natural other than the 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 sin nature of the world of the planet right other than that it's very unnatural for black folks to feud with white folks that that's not a you know it, that's not an inborn trait um, um I, I used to so the program that i started the scribes institute it's a literacy stem and um and and, and foreign language for second to eighth graders. So we actually started it on the campus of ASD, which is the, the oldest school for the deaf in the, in the United States of okay. America. West Hartford, Connecticut is called American School for the Deaf. And so anyway, I would bring hearing children, children that can hear, um, on the campus with little children that couldn't hear. And the way we actually started our program before it got as big as it is now, um, we, we um, um, had children together, black, white children, uh, Puerto Rican, Mexican, everybody. Just it was probably like in that you know room, maybe about twenty five nationalities, and half of the kids can't hear, half of the kids can hear. Guess what, dude? Not one of those kids had any problem whatsoever. They were playing with one another. They even the kids that couldn't do sign language it didn't matter to them. They were playing. They were getting along. They were playing with their toys. One little kid brought an Xbox, and, you know, with a handheld. I forget what it's called. Uh, I guess it's Xbox handheld or PlayStation handheld. Right. They, were, they were sharing the game. Why? Because it's natural for them to get along. You have to be taught how to not get along. And, and, that, and, and you know who teaches us? The media teaches us how yep. not to get along through completely ridiculous policy. Like, like when, if a, if a person, and listen, it's not just white folks. There are black people that believe that more blacks commit crimes than whites. I'm saying that black folks are stupid for thinking that white people are stupid for thinking that go, go to a college professor in your town, whether it's the university of Ohio, university of Connecticut, you know, UC Berkeley, Harvard, go to, go to a college professor that teaches sociology and ask them, is that true? And I, I will promise you, I will bet you $5. You got the, the pastor betting. I will bet you $5 that they will tell you that not only is it not true, it's horrifically untrue. But do we really want truth in America? Or do we really want to continue to fight over ridiculous reasons? I want the truth. I don't want to fight. I'm tired of the fighting. I believe in love. I believe in togetherness. I believe in unity. People say that those words are weak words. We need to fight. We need to battle. You know, no, we don't. We don't. We need to figure out as intelligent human beings how to get along. It's not that hard. I'm telling you, all you got to do is look at the little kids, right? Two, three, four, five, six years old. They don't give a flying flip what color you are. All they care about is, will you play with me? Yep. We, have, we have some fun with me. That's it. Nothing else. And that's what we got to do the same. We, we're more alike than we're different. Will you play with me? 
Maybe I'll write a book called Will You Play With Me? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> a, <laughs> we, uh, um, I, I want to co cover a couple more uh, topics real quick before we have sure, to go. Sure. Uh, one thing is as a pastor and, uh, you know, I'm a Christian myself and my, uh, sometimes people, um, especially maybe more conservative Christians, they know I'm a libertarian. They're like, oh, libertarians are about drugs and all this stuff. And so they, they see a, a, a conflict between liberty and, and being a believer. But for me, I've become more libertarian the closer I've got with God that I've, yeah. my opposition to war and uh, 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 things like that have, have developed because mm -hmm. I see I, what I want libertarianism to be and what it is, I think is an expression of the golden rule. You treat other people the way you want to be treated 100%. and all that. So have you found, um, are there any areas of conflict there for you or is it, is it also pretty complimentary? I mean, there's no internal conflict because I'm an extraordinarily resolute person. And so when I make a decision, I stick to it and I build on it. And so I don't get a lot of people. I mean, I trust me, you get some folks, you know, I have many, many friends, lifelong friends that will always be friends of mine. I love them. They're, they're my brothers. They're my sisters that are Democrats, white and black. Um, Republicans, white and black, it doesn't matter. And they all make the little jokes about, you know, you're in the drug head party and, you know, all you guys want to do is is dope and, and, um, and, and, and shoot up. <laughs> and, right. and I, I just laugh at them. I've never, I've never even tried marijuana. You know what I'm saying? I've got, I've had, you know, a, a brother, you know, he's passed away now, but he, he's done marijuana. And I saw him do it. You know what I'm saying? It's, it, I don't trip over that because, you know, the, the, those same conservative Christians will, will condemn um, marijuana, but they won't condemn the killing, the killing of innocent life. You yeah. see what I'm saying? So when I'm when I'm talking about true faith, you can't pick one over the other. So if 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 we endorse and I and I wholeheartedly endorse the decriminalization of drugs, I don't I don't care what people say or how they judge me because they don't have the the right. One of the things that I have is a relationship with God. They have no right to tell me what my standing with Jesus Christ is. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So, because I don't believe like you believe does not mean that God doesn't love me and affirm me and that, you know, and that I can't do tremendous things for him. So I, I don't even really care about, you know, what they think. That's that's their, what they think about me is their business. It's none of my business. But what, what the, the, the idea behind libertarianism it's not that we're telling everybody to go get a bong, you know, if you want to be American and just smoke up. That's not what we're saying. We're saying to decriminalize um, um, these these ridiculous um, um, crimes to make for a freer environment, right? The conservative Christians are not condemning people. Some of them are, but for smoking, right? You're not saying that people need to um, 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 quit smoking or go to jail, right? And, 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 and cigarette smoke probably does even worse on the human body than, than marijuana does. And, and that's something, I mean, marijuana also has medicinal um, benefits. One of the things that, 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 that is very, very touching to me is that I went to school in the city of Hartford with um, young men that served prison time for um, the possession of marijuana, but now, um, now it's 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 a business that they still can't profit from because you have to be bonded to the tune of a hundred thousand to a million dollars. They don't have that ability or capacity to get a bond to sell the stuff that put them in prison. So that's why I say that the structure of America needs to be reviewed and revised and renewed. We have a constitution that was written, and I I. I 
enjoy and I love the Constitution for when it works for all people. Uh, of course, it didn't originally um, have black people in mind, but thank God for people like Dr. Martin Luther King and many that preceded him. Now we're uh, engrafted <laughs> into the, the old idea of civil rights for all people, but with 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 Christians that that harp on the the um, emphasis with regards to drugs, right? I mean, come on. What I say to 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 Christians is that God gives us choice. He gives us free will because because we mandate that you don't do this does not mean that your heart is right. Stop criminalizing things and messing up the entire American system. The whole concept of true Christianity is freedom in Christ. How are you gonna be free in Christ if you bound in every other area? So, you know, you know, I, I don't think that you're a drug head, Aaron. I'm not a drug user um, uh, myself. And I, you know, I, that's, and that's what I tell people is that, you know, there are times when drugs are a problem in people's lives, but that's a spiritual problem. It's a health problem. Right. It's not a criminal justice problem. So, um, not, not, not at all. Not at all. Yep. It's not, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a health problem. It really is. It's a health problem. I don't condemn. I pray for people that have cancer or that have AIDS or, you know, or that, you know, have, um, um any sickness of, of diabetes, you know, um, of respiratory failure. I pray for people. And in the same way, people with drug addiction, I, I pray for them. I don't say put them in jail. It doesn't make any sense. Jesus Christ wouldn't have put them in prison. He right. would have healed them. And that's what our society needs to start realizing that there's some people that don't need prison. They need healing. Yep. Um, that's what I, a lot of times when I am talking to uh, a conservative Christian and something about drugs or the death penalty or whatever, I'm like, well, what do you think Jesus would do in that situation confronted with that person? And I've actually, uh, I've made, I think some changes in the way people think uh, because of that. So um, yeah, I see the two as being hand in hand. I mean, um, it, it's a, it's a really interesting topic and I'm glad we got to talk about it. Um, one last kind of big question. Um, I want your take on the election. What do you think of Donald Trump? What do you think of Joe Biden? Uh, Joe Jorgensen is, is who we're putting up. Where, where do you see this election going? Where is the black vote going to go? Um, just handicap what's, what's going to happen this fall. Well, when, when you talk about the, I mean, that's a very, very loaded question. And so I don't even think that, you know, what I think about uh, Mr. Trump or Mr. Biden at this stage of the game as, as relevant, uh, you know, what I think about them personally is not as relevant as I think about, um, the outcome of this election. Um, because, I mean, honestly, if, if we had a libertarian president, I believe that our country would be moving in the right direction. Uh, the probability of that happening in this particular climate, I won't say it's, it's, it's close to nail because you just don't know where people's votes are gonna go. And um, I mean, with, our, with the libertarians' inability to properly and effectively market, um, we're gonna be um, in, 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 in a, a far away third place. But if we had a real strategic plan, uh, we could see um, Joe Jorgensen as the first uh, woman president of the United States. Um, but, you know, on a more pragmatic sense, uh, this upcoming election, uh, there's a lot that's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a difficult uh, situation, man. Um, if, 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 let me put it this way, uh, just to pay, play an advocate, okay? If I were a Republican, would I at this point think that Mr. Trump was the best choice out of every single registered 
Republican politician in the country. Me personally, I wouldn't think he was. You understand? You heard what I said, right? And I'm not saying that he, he's incompetent to do um, 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 his job, but I am saying that would he be the best choice out of every registered political Republican or politician who's Republican in the country? I, I think that there may be better choices to bring the country forward uh, using the Republican Party. Um, um, now, Mr. Biden, do I think that he's the best choice for Democrat? Absolutely not. I don't think he's the best choice um, um, for uh, the Democratic uh, nominee um, to bring this country forward in, 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 in a positive direction. But at the same time, we're gridlocked. I don't I don't know that we have um, the, the we don't have the best two candidates on the Democratic and Republican side. I'm just being honest. I mean, you know, get mad at me for my honesty. Mm -hmm. It's just it's just it's 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 in my lifetime. This is one of the strangest um, um, uh, elections I've ever um, 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 been a part of. I'm glad to be a Republican to be at least able to say that I'm, you know, voting um, um, from my conscience and, and, and my principles um, than anything else. But I just don't see um, now in terms of Mr. Biden being able to to beat and defeat Mr. Trump. I don't know that that's possible because right. I, I I don't I see Mr. Trump as someone who has built an infrastructure that's far greater and far more supportive and, and, and far more ready to come out to the polls in strong numbers. We've seen even in previous years when uh, Mr. Trump um, defeated um, Hillary Clinton, we see that the Democrats, minorities, didn't even come out to vote for right. Hillary. So that says a lot because they didn't even want Hillary to become president, so much so that they did not come out to the polls and then uh, um, of course, Mr. Trump became the president of the United States. I, 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 I don't see where much is going to change in that regard because there's nothing in society that's pointing to that direction. I see the Democrats playing a lot of games, um, um, uh, uh, even with you know um, this whole um, health issue, this whole pandemic health issue, I see the Democrats playing a lot of games that I believe they're going to have to answer to God for. That's just my pastoral um, opinion um, to try to position themselves to, to win this election. But there again, it's, it's grossly discouraging when either party uses tragedy to position themselves um, to win a political election rather yeah. than to rather than work with solid policy, solid you know, political strategy. I mean, you know, if, if we can't get back to working with, you know, points one through 20 of how we're going to make the, the country better, we're in really messed up shape. And when we have to take pot shots at this one and that one in order to advance our cause, we are in a really, really uh, gravely dangerous position. And, and so I, I and so my, my um belief is that, you know, how do we get out of this? <laughs> Join the Libertarian Party. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that I, I think you're right. I think that you know the with the two party system and the corporate media, this this election is gonna you know it's two bad candidates, and no matter what happens, uh, if one of those two are chosen, um, I, I I yeah my um, I think the media is going to whether Trump wins or not, uh, they're just going to continue to try to try to divide people and, and, and make money that way. Um, last, uh, uh, last question. 
Um, just as a way, I'll let you wrap up, uh, mention anything else you're working on or that you want people to know about what you're doing. Are you uh, planning on running for office again? Are you planning on becoming a, uh, uh, maybe uh, being a, an elected leader in the LP there in Connecticut? Uh, what are your plans over the next couple of years in the LP? Well, you know, it's funny that you that you even asked that. I'm 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 um, actually um, contemplating and doing some exploratory work on um, supporting uh, the libertarian candidate for for governor and 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 maybe perhaps um, um, being lieutenant governor here in the city. I'm in the state of, of of Connecticut. I'm 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 considering that the options. I'm weighing them, and um and and if so. Um, I've got new strategies. You know, Einstein said the person that does the same thing over and over again and expects different results is insane. So what I did when I ran for mayor, I'm not going to do that because obviously it did not bring the type of results that were most favorable. But I've learned a lot in that process. And I believe that, you know, going to um, um, to to run for governor um, may be um, a more favorable outcome. Um, for the Libertarian Party, so I'm thinking about that at this point, and right. um, and so that, and I'll have to make a decision relatively soon. Well, I uh, I hope that you uh, continue to um, uh, to bring your perspective to things and your talents to things. I'm I'm really impressed by um, just your resume and just finally getting to talk to you a little bit. We've been pinging back and forth with phone calls and emails for a week or two. So uh, I I think you've got a a bright future in our party. And I, I really agree with you that we have a a great opportunity among people who don't look like me, you know, to, uh, to grow our party. And uh, with people like you, I think it's going to be, we're going to be more successful. Um, Thank you so much. And if if you want to find out more about me, you could always follow me. Um, on YouTube, um, um, Aaron Lewis. It's either Aaron Lewis or Dr. Aaron Lewis. On Twitter, I know it's Dr. Um, um, Aaron One. And uh, you, you'll see me. I'm the bald head black dude. So, I mean, you can't, you can't miss okay. me. And if you want to find out more about our ministry, go to familychurch.faith, F-A-I-T-H, familychurch.faith, and, and check us out. Or the Scribes Institute. That's the scribesinstitute.org. And you can find out what we're doing, um, uh, maybe make a contribution to the school or the church. And we'll always be appreciative of whatever you can do. Yeah, I'd really like to, uh, hopefully I'll see more articles from you in the LP newsletter and other places that uh, your voice will uh, be heard there. So um, looking forward to, uh, hopefully we'll get to work on something together uh, down the road, uh, especially when we're able to travel back and forth and maybe we'll see each other at the next convention or something like that. So I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will. The, the Aaron caucus of the libertarian party, there right? You go. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. <laughs> right. Well, it, it's, it's been a pleasure and I really thank you for your time and, uh, uh thank, we'll, you. thank you, my brother. Okay. We'll see you, Dr. Lewis. Bye-bye. Absolutely. Bye-bye. Okay. And there you have it. I'd like to thank Dr. Lewis for being very generous with his time and his wisdom and for all the hard work he's doing in his community with his church and, uh, with the LP there in Connecticut. I expect we'll be hearing more good things from him in the LP in the coming years. I'd also like to thank Dave versus Goliath for all the music you hear on Decentralized Revolution. And I'd like to thank everyone who gives to Mises Pack at TakeHumanAction.com. 
and everyone who shares, rates, and reviews Decentralized Revolution so other people can find the podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time with our guest, Spike Cohen. Thank you.